This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, the first drug to treat sexual dysfunction in premenopausal women, dubbed the female Viagra, has received approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. But exactly what is it and what does it do? Here with more on all of this is Dr. Renee Mested. She's the Division Chief of General Obstetrics and Gynecology at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Mested. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. So after a long, and I understand a controversial process, the U.S. FDA has approved this first ever drug, and it's aimed at boosting female libido, I guess. Um, it's called Flybanserin. Yes. Flybanserin. And it has a, a brand name of Adi. 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 Oh, Adi. And it's approved for use of women in women with sexual dysfunction. Tell us about it. What is it purported to do? So this medication is aimed to uh, treat women with uh, the diagnosis of hypoactive, hypoactive sexual desire dysfunction, which um, has recently been updated to... In the new DSM? Yes. So it's become a psychological uh, kind of term that is, it's it's a diagnostic term used for a certain number of women who basically have no sexual drive. Exactly. So um, about about eight and a half percent of women overall um, suffer from this this diagnosis. Um, It's for for younger women, it's rough. It's about nine percent. For postmenopausal women or older women, it's more um, about seven percent, and then um, about actually thirteen percent of women in their middle age, premenopausal, but no longer in their twenties and early thirties. So it really runs the gamut in terms of the yes. the continuum of age within women. Maybe not very 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 young women, but it seems like it it does occur. Yes. All throughout the, yes. the life cycle. Yes. Unfortunately, it's, this medication has been referred to as the female Viagra, but Viagra treats an entirely different disorder in men than ADI treats um, for women. Explain that. So um, Viagra treats erectile dysfunction, which is basically the man has the desire to have sex, he simply can't. And so it so it's more of a mechanical issue exactly. with a man. Whereas for women, um, these women are capable of having sex, um, many of them. However, most of them lack the desire to initiate sexual activity. They lack spontaneous fantasies. Um, many of them rebuff the efforts of their partner, which then causes concern for the partner as well as them and, and distress in the relationship. The key part, though, with this diagnosis is that um, the lack of sexual desire has to um, provoke distress in the woman herself. Not a distress that her husband isn't happy or her partner isn't happy, but that she is concerned that she's not interested in sex. So that is when we actually need to uh, consider some kind of treatment. So what, I mean, it seems like there's could be a very vast number of things that can contribute to this, but give us a kind of a thumbnail of what you think causes this at various stages. So, um, like I said, the largest group happens to be middle-aged women, premenopausal, and those are the women who are the busiest in their careers. Their children are generally, well, they're either young children if they're very uh, career-oriented women and had children later, or their children in their early to mid-teens. Um, they're starting to have difficulties with their parents. Um, they're starting Means to... Means caregiving for caregiving parents. Caregiving for parents. There's um, finding that their health isn't as good or easy as it used to be, uh, difficulty maintaining weight, 
uh, difficulty maintaining a proper diet because of um, a very busy lifestyle that um, is not enabling them to maintain a schedule. They're concerned about their looks. They're concerned about their health. Um, so basically, you're talking about psychological and stress and lifestyle issues that play that all kind of play into this. And are there also the hormonal changes that are taking place, especially both in the premenopausal as well as obviously the postmenopausal women? In some cases, yes. You, um, we find that. Uh, decreases in hormones or fluctuations in the menstrual cycle um, will result in um, decrease in sexual drive. Um, additionally, women may be developing thyroid disorders, which can also contribute to this as well. What role do you think fatigue plays in all of this? Because you have just alluded to the fact that it could be a very busy time, especially in this larger group, this premenopausal, middle, kind of mid-range of women age-wise. And it sounds like people are trying to do it all, maybe the sandwich generation concept. And yes. there's, So what role do you think fatigue may play in all of this, or sleep, lack of sleep? Fatigue plays a major role. Um, you know, when, when a woman gets to bed, she wants to go to sleep. And um, particularly if she has been doing a variety of chores while her husband has been relaxing um, for the past couple of hours, and she falls into bed and just wants to go to sleep because she has a half a dozen things that she has to do before 10 o'clock in the morning the next day. So I'm getting a feeling from you that you don't f perhaps feel that either the diagnosis is always accurate in terms of it being a real kind of disease entity, so to speak, or that um, this treatment... Well, tell us about how you see the treatment interfacing with this whole thing. So I think there's a role for treatment, and I do think there is a role for medication of some kind. However, a variety of other things need to be investigated as well. Hypoactive sexual desire disorder is, for women, is a multifactorial issue. Just like any other health ailment, diabetes, hypertension, they all, all of these things pertain to, um, are a result of dietary um, activity, uh, lifestyle activity, you know, whether patient people get exercise or have sedentary lifestyles, medications that are taken, um, uh, events that are happening in life um, where medication plays a role but other aspects of the person's lifestyle also have to be investigated and addressed. Um, so for many of these, for many of these women, it, there are a variety of lifestyle activities um, that need to be modified or addressed as well as potentially um, uh, there is a role at that point for medication. Unfortunately, this probably isn't our best medication. Hold that thought for a minute. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with OBGYN Dr. Renee Mested, and we're talking about women's sexual dysfunction and this new treatment for it. So first, let's get to the drug. What does the drug do? It um, ideally increases the um, number of sexual events a woman has in a month, as well as her satisfaction with those events. How does it do this? Do we understand the mechanism for I mean, it's obviously not just a mechanical thing as it is with a man, as you, as you indicated Correct. earlier. So there's got to be something kind of on the level of the central nervous system, the brain that's going on? It, it does. Um, it, act, it helps to um, boost some of the chemicals within the brain that help to stimulate sexual desire. So the whole issue of libido is chemically yes. intervened, basically, and it's determined chemically. And so these, these new this drug actually boosts those it can. chemicals. Okay. It can. 
<clears throat> there are some concerns. It's been a very controversial pro process with the FDA. Tell us a little bit about that in terms of the approval and what are the concerns with this drug? So um, this drug was not actually approved until its third round of going through the FDA um, approval process. Uh, the first two times, the um, review panels found that the medication basically didn't basically didn't give enough bang for a buck. Um, so was it, it has, ineffective or not as effective as hoped for? It was not as effective as hoped for. It um, basically provided women with, like I said, one more sexual um, activity, satisfying sexual activity a month. Um, but in the process also provided a wide variety of um, bad side effects or potentially um, like undesirable side effects. Uh, predominantly um, syncope, which um, most people understand as passing out. Wow. Like yes. fainting, basically. Fainting, um, yes. And, and something I read about low blood pressure as well? Right, which can often result in the syncope. Um, so hypotension, syncope, somnolence, those kinds of things. So it is Problems not, sleeping? Uh, problems being awake. Oh, problems being awake. Yes. So it, is found, it was determined that it need, the medication has to be taken at night so that when these possible adverse events are um, most likely to occur, the, patient will, the, the person will already be asleep. Is it taken as needed, or is it the kind of thing where you have to take it every day in order for there to be an effect when you need it, so to speak? So the prescribed dosing is 100 milligrams every night. And, um, and is that forever, so to speak? For as long as the woman wants to be able to maintain this um, heightened uh, arousal basically. Unfortunately, it also interacts with a wide variety of commonly used um, other medications? medications as well as alcohol. Um, there is a very strict um, box warning as well as providers have to undergo specific, specific training uh, to strongly prescribe their patients not to drink alcohol while taking this medication. What's, what's the danger with alcohol? It increases the risks of um, hypotension and syncope. So, and unfortunately, it's not a matter of, oh, my husband and I are having our anniversary dinner tonight. We're going to drink a <laughs> bottle of wine with our, our lovely dinner, so I'm going to skip tonight's dose. Oh. It's If you're on the dose, if you're on it, on If you're on it, then you cannot drink alcohol. At all. Period. Wow. That could be a deal breaker for a lot of people, I would think. It, it, it really is. And I think it's a deal breaker for a lot of physicians as well, because the fact is, is um, you know, unless, unless the physician's patient really is a person, a teetotaler, a person who really does not ever drink alcohol, has never drunk alcohol. Most people at some point or another drink alcohol, particularly since these are for premenopausal women. These are younger women. Um, so they are more, in general, socially active as it is. So what's been, what, what's been your, you know, what have you heard on the street in terms of your own patients? Have people been coming? It's available currently, right? Yes, it just became available last month. So what's, what's going on? I mean, are women demanding it, asking for it? And, and what are you finding in terms of your own patients? I have actually only had one patient who's requested it so far. Um, and has she found it useful, helpful? I didn't prescribe it because I hadn't undergone the training yet. And um, we are not, we as uh, healthcare providers are not able to prescribe it until we've undergone the training and, and been registered. Pharmacies cannot distribute it until they've undergone the certification process as well. And the certification process involves this issue of when, you know, what are the potential side effects and what are the potential hazards? And particularly the alcohol. I yes. see. So you haven't had much professional experience with it. What, what, what are your thoughts about it? What would you tell patients at this point? Or what's your thinking about it? Um, at this point, I'm, I'm excited that we have a medication 
that we can um, potentially prescribe to women who fit a very specific criteria. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's the best drug that we have. And uh, it's a little misleading calling it the female Viagra. Yes, it, it is. It seems to me. It's... Again, because Viagra is a medication that you take as you need it. It's almost immediately responsive. And it's um, short-term It's short-term. Effects. And um, it, it, it serves a physical function. This medication must be taken chronically every day. Um, doesn't give a lot of um, result, basically. And it has a large number of side effects. So with all the yelling and screaming about women having been discriminated against by their not having a drug to help them with sexual dysfunction, someone has come forward. The hope is that this may perhaps lead to further development of a better alternative. Is that some of your thinking? That, that amongst the opt optimistic members of the uh, women's healthcare community, that is, that is our hope that, um, that this will, while it's not our best drug, that hopefully it will stimulate other companies to produce a better drug, fewer side effects, more effect, um, positive effects. And I'm hoping that it doesn't, um, if it fails, that it doesn't then make other companies decide to just throw it all in the waste bin. Well, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us and, and helping us understand this new drug. Appreciate your coming in. My guest has been Dr. Renee Mestid. She's the Division Chief of General Obstetrics and Gynecology at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.